Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I know we've already mentioned it. I do want to mention again uh, that I am not Joel Sutherland, that I'm not our lead pastor. Uh, My name is Justin Leach, and I'm our young adult pastor here. Thankful for the opportunity to share this morning. Obviously, we're praying for for safety and for blessings for our pastor, Uh, so thankful for him. Uh, But hey, as we get started this morning, as we get started this morning, I want you to do a favor, do me a favor, and finish this sentence for me, all right? Finish this sentence. All right, the only two certainties in life are, right, all right, so that was, that was pretty easy, right, death and taxes, Benjamin Franklin said that, and uh, hey, those are certainties of life, uh, we're all going to die, we cannot avoid it, and we can't stop it, you might have tried, you can't, you don't know when it's going to happen, we're all going to die, there is this one loophole in which case you're alive when Jesus returns, but hey, look, we can't even control that. And so death is a certainty in life. If you're an American, you will be taxed on everything, all the time. Uh, uh, taxes are a certainty in, in our life. We can't avoid those. Uh, and so look, whether you like it or not, uh, you're going to have to pay that every year, at least before April 15th, right? You're going to have to get together with your tax guy and shake your magic eight ball to see if your withholdings were right, right? See if you've got to pay or get your money back that you could have had all year. Uh, taxes are a certainty in this life. Every year around tax season, the same meme pops up, and it makes me laugh a lot, so I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. And so this is a conversation that takes place between our own government and us as citizens, and so they say, hey, you owe us money, it's called taxes. Well, how much do I owe? We have to figure that out. So I just, I just pay whatever I want? Oh, no, we know exactly how much you owe, but you have to guess that number too. And what if I get it wrong? You go to prison. Right? That's the weird situation we're in, and uh, no offense if you're the tax guy that everybody comes to, uh, but what a weird situation that, that we're in as Americans with all that. Um, I think Benjamin Franklin was spot on, but I think he left one thing off his list. I actually think there are three certainties in life. Uh, death and taxes, no doubt, but suffering as well. I believe that, that suffering is inevitable. It is a certainty of life for you and I. No matter what happens, we will not be able to avoid either moments or seasons of suffering in this life that absolutely will happen to us. You don't believe me? We'll, we'll take a poll, right? If you've ever suffered in small ways or in big ways in this, in this life, raise your hand. All right? So listen, if, if I missed, if, if a hand didn't go up, I believe that was 100%, I'll just, just tell you, get ready, because suffering is coming. Suffering is inevitable in this life, and God has allowed suffering for a specific purpose. God has a purpose in allowing that. We'll learn this morning that God has also given us a very clear response to suffering. So we're going to be in 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 6 through 11 this morning. As you turn there, we're not totally sure what suffering he was addressing here. It could have been the suffering under Emperor Nero that had him crucified upside down. He could have written this right before that. Either way, we believe Peter had something to say about suffering. In 1 Peter alone, He's, he addresses suffering over 17 times with eight different words. He, he knew a little bit about suffering. But here, Peter gives us three responses. 
Just three responses to suffering if we hope to remain obedient to God as we walk through that. So when we talk about enduring and suffering, that's what we mean. Not just making it through, not just surviving, but remaining obedient to God in the midst of our suffering. So if you will stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word once again, uh, 1 Peter 5 verses 6 through 11. I hope you have a copy of God's word, but if you don't, the word's going to be on the screen uh, there for you. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Three responses to this inevitable suffering in our life. The first one uh, is very simple. It's simply that we be humble. If we want to endure in suffering, we will have to respond with humility. We see that there at at the very beginning of verse 6. And understand, right before we get to this, Peter looks to the leaders of the congregation. He tells them how to lead. He looks to the youth of the congregation, tells them that they should be in submission to the leaders. And then he turns to everybody. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And why is that? He quotes a proverb. He says that, that we ought to do that because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So building on that, we come to our verse here, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now understand, we don't ever want to be opposed by God, ever. But we especially don't want to be opposed by God when walking through seasons of suffering. And so what happens is when we submit to God in our humility and our submission, we recognize that God's almighty power in and control over our circumstances is at work. That God God has infinite power and that he remains in control. And so, we humble ourselves, we can count on God's grace in our suffering. Just like we don't ever want to be opposed by God, especially in suffering, we always want God's grace, especially in suffering. But not just that, he tells us uh, that we have this promise here, uh, that, that we ought to humble ourselves so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And so, Uh, Peter well understands how we are as human beings. We're creatures of comfort. And the moment we become uncomfortable, we want it to stop. And he explains to us that this exaltation will come if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, but that it's going to come at the proper time. That that's going to take place in God's perfect timing. And so, we don't endure suffering by eagerly waiting for it to end. We endure suffering by understanding and believing that it, suffering, our suffering only continues because God has a very specific purpose for allowing it to continue. We understand that in the process. Now we understand also that this exaltation that's promised here, there's no indication here in verse 6 that that's reserved uh, uh, just for eternity. right? We'll see this exaltation in its fullness and in its perfection in eternity, but we may see this in small incomplete ways in this life. Like, 
spiritual blessings or closer fellowship with God. Or our suffering may prove fatal. Our suffering may actually bring our life to an end here on earth. And we still have that promise of this future, full, complete, perfect exaltation in eternity. And that promise is what can change our perspective in in suffering right now. So we understand that, we look to that. Uh, Peter gives us those two reasons as to why we ought to humble ourselves, because we don't want to be opposed by God, we want His grace. We also want to be exalted by God. He moves in verse 6 to talk about how. How we go about doing that one primary way that we can humble ourselves under God's hand. It tells us right there in verse 7 actually, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now, all of us deal with anxiety from time to time, but some of us more so than others. Some of us regularly give in to the temptation to worry about the things that we're walking through. We show our humility and our submission by giving those things to God, by choosing to let Him carry the weight of our anxieties. The author of Proverbs tells us that anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. And I've got to tell you, some of you walk through the door this morning and the the images that you've walked through uh, something in life and you're carrying it yourself and you're discouraged and you're beaten up and you've come to your end and you look like this person who's trying to, trying to manage this 1,000 pound weight on your chest. Understand that just as it's an act of humility to give that to God, Peter teaches us that it's an act of pride to continue to carry it ourselves. Because we pridefully believe that we're smart enough to find the solution to our problems. We pridefully believe that we're strong enough to bear the suffering that we walk through. And we're, pridefully, we're prideful enough to believe that we have the power to change our circumstances. And here's Jesus, ready and willing to take that weight from us. And he's capable of bearing that weight because he can control the uncontrollable. Because he knows the unknowable, because he doesn't operate in this hypothetical state that we often venture into when we worry. He operates in the actual, and he stands there ready to take that. Why? Because he cares for you. See, we we can not just cast this off, but cast this on. And not just cast this on to anybody, but, but cast these worries on to Jesus. And he's ready and willing to take that, but not just because he can, but because he cares deeply for each and every one of you. As Christians, we have this option of not carrying the weight of our anxiety, of, of humbling ourselves. Our oldest daughter, Chandler, is almost two and a half. And what that means is what most of you already know, that she's a parrot and she repeats everything that everybody says. And we're okay with that, uh, mainly because it's really cute and it's fun. And uh, I, I love her toddler version of everything. Uh, actually, a little bit inside of me dies when she learns to say something the right way, because I just know the fun toddler version is gone forever with that word. Um, but there's still some things that she doesn't say right. One of my favorites is she'll, she'll look at something in the house that is clearly too big for her, and it's clearly too heavy. And she'll go over and she'll try to pick it up, and she'll give this cute little... This little grunt, and she'll say, too heavy. H-E-B-B-Y, too, too heavy, Daddy. And, and we just, we laugh because it's cute, but if I were being honest with you today, I would tell you, I have a lot of joy in helping her with those things. Uh, in carrying the things that are too heavy for her, uh, and helping her uh, manage the things that, that really she ought not to be carrying in the first place, because I'm Daddy, 
because I love her. And if I love her that much, then how much does God love her? And if God loves her that much, how much does God love you? You see, the picture is that you and I are, are, are carrying this weight around and we're struggling and we're discouraged and we're defeated. And Jesus is sitting there patiently, patiently waiting with arms open, inviting you, each and every one of you, to come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have this opportunity as Christians for this anxiety exchange, right? Where we can take the things that are weighing us down in our suffering, that are causing us to worry, and we can give them to God. And in exchange in return, he would give us rest for our souls. The only question is, why? Why do we continue to carry this, this weight around. Now, we interact with our sin, our imperfections on a daily basis. We put our trust in sinful people on a regular basis to fix our cars, to diagnose our health, to do our taxes, to teach us every semester, and yet we won't put our trust in the God of the universe who knows everything that we go through before we go through it and has the power to change our circumstances. Why is that? Peter tells us because we're prideful. Humble yourselves today and trust him. And we don't also, unfortunately for us, we have more than our pride to deal with as we navigate suffering. We also have an enemy. The second response that Peter gives us in this passage, the second response to suffering is to be ready. If you want to endure in suffering, you've got to be ready. In these next two verses, Peter gives us three commands. To be of sober spirit, to be on the alert, and to resist him. He's talking about Satan. We talk about a sober spirit. And we can think of what it's like when you're not sober. Uh, when someone is drunk, they lose the ability to focus and, and they lose the ability for judgment. It becomes greatly impaired. So in this context, we talk about being of a sober spirit, right? Not literally just being sober, but being of a sober spirit would be focusing on the right things. Keeping our minds in tune to God's call for our lives, undistracted by the world and Satan's temptations. And so a life of a sober spirit will be marked by prioritizing this, this God-fearing mindset and then what we do, our Christian disciplines. To be of sober spirit, we also have to be on the alert. When we suffer, we are at our weakest and at, at the most dangerous point in our life because we become a prime target for Satan's attacks. So when we talk about being on the alert, we have to be expecting at all times for Satan to attack us. Jesus uses this same phrase in Matthew 24 and 25 to tell his audience to be ready for the coming of Christ. Understand today that just as we don't know the day or the hour of when Jesus will return, we've got to be ready. We don't know the day or the hour of spiritual attacks. We just know they're going to happen and we've got to be ready. Spiritual attacks in your life are just as certain as the return of Jesus. They absolutely will happen. Some of us are, are struggling to keep our eyes on Jesus in suffering because we're not resisting Satan. And some of us are not resisting Satan because we don't live with this focus and with this alertness, this awareness of what Satan is trying to do. And we ought to do that because of the way he's described. 
as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You pick the passage, there's a number of of biblical passages that teach us what Satan wants to do. Job 1, he's wandering around just like this, looking for somebody to attack. Ephesians 6, uh, the reason Paul gives us the, the, our, our, the armor of God is to protect us from, from what? The fiery darts of the devil and the schemes of the devil. In Luke 22, Jesus reminds Peter that Satan wanted to sift him as wheat, right? Before heavy machinery and everything, right? If you want to harvest uh, uh, grain and, and, and take that out of the wheat, what you did is you laid it out and you beat it and you beat it and you beat it and you beat it until the grain separated from the chaff. That's what Peter, or that's what Satan wanted to do to Peter, you don't think he had that in mind as he, as he wrote this? No matter the biblical illustration, Satan's desire for you is one thing, and that's complete and total annihilation. He wants to destroy you, and if he can't keep you in God's wrath today by keeping you lost this morning, he'll at the very least destroy your life and destroy your witness for Jesus. As believers, we can resist him, but how do we do that? In this passage, it gives us two ways by remaining firm in our faith and by understanding the nature of universal Christian suffering. All right, two things there. Not by trying to be better. Not by trying harder. Not by just deciding, you know what? I'm just not going to sin anymore. I'm waking up tomorrow and I'm going to be tempted and I'm just not giving in. We resist Satan by busying ourselves and building a foundation of faith in our lives. Right, remaining firm in our faith. The more sure our foundation, the more likely we are to resist him. And so, once again, in, in the armor of God, Paul gives us a list that includes truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. These are, these are doctrines and practices that we can press into and grow into our entire lives that will build this foundation. Uh, he didn't list it, but I'd add to it a commitment to a local church. Submitting to the leadership of the local church, putting yourself under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, submitting to accountability and other like-minded believers who are seeking God. That will help you build foundation of faith that you can stand on to resist Satan. We also have to understand that, that our suffering is not unique. That doesn't mean that our suffering is not serious. And that doesn't mean that our suffering is not painful. It just means that everybody suffers and every Christian suffers. And we have to understand that if, if we want to move forward. We have to understand that Christian suffering is unique and that it draws us closer to one another as we grow in unity in Christ. Because to be associated with Jesus is to be associated with his suffering. All right, uh, let's, let's change directions here. Tennessee fans, here's the deal. You guys take a deep breath today. You're going you're gonna to get off easy. It's all good. Probably, probably headed toward another mediocre season anyway, so let's just... We're going to go after Florida fans for a moment, all right? Because, listen, it turns out they can do something good. One thing, which is even debatable, and it has nothing to do with their football team, big surprise. Um, look, the University of Florida did a big study. Over 150 species of trees affected by hurricanes in the southeast, all right? A lot of different trees. And they, they wanted to determine what, what the best tree for, uh, to plant for, for a hurricane would be. And they looked at a number of factors like canopy density and the age of the tree. And they actually came to a point of, of understanding that the sable palm tree, which actually is the state tree of Florida, uh, is the most hurricane-resistant tree that we know of. And not necessarily because of its canopy density and not necessarily because of 
of the age being a factor. They actually zeroed in on one factor that made this the strongest tree in the midst of storms, and that was root development, right? Uh, the, the, the sable palm tree has such deep and strong roots that in the midst of a storm, these things can bend over backwards but not break. And so these trees literally draw strength from the foundation that they have built underneath them. Satan works 168 hours a week to destroy you. He doesn't take a second off, and he will not show you any mercy. The Bible tells us he's incredibly cunning, and he's deceived even our oldest ancestors. If we want to share in the victory of Jesus in this life, and resisting Satan, we'll only do so by standing on a firm foundation of faith and having the right expectations and suffering. So we need to address our pride. We need to plan for Satan We also need to be aware of God's promises. The last response that Peter gives us here is that we be hopeful, right? We need to be humble. We need to be ready. We also need to be hopeful. And the essence of our hope really just lies in what God has said he will do, right? As, As we trust in the faithfulness of God, we will find hope to help us walk through suffering in this life. Now, Peter told us that our exaltation would come at the proper time, he gets a little more specific here uh, to help us understand that, that this promise, and we'll get to the promise in a minute, of strength and renewal will only come after we've suffered for a little while. Really reinforcing this idea that we will suffer, that, that we're going to walk through suffering. Um, but it also tells us for the believer, and specifically for the believer, that our suffering is not eternal. That as we suffer, one way or another, our suffering is coming to an end. That's a promise of God here. And this truth sets an expectation for us, right? And proper expectations in suffering guard against discouragement, and they aid in endurance, right? When we have the wrong expectations, that's when we get discouraged. He's also called us to his eternal glory in Christ. All that means is that our glory will be the culmination of a life of sanctification, right? This is just the process of making us more like Jesus, of making us less like ourselves and making us more like Jesus. We understand uh, that God's hand rests on every single circumstance of our life to bring this end, to bring us to the point of perfection in Jesus, which will take place in eternity. Paul gives us this response to suffering. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The promise. uh, We've got four synonymous words here at the very end of this passage. That God himself, that's important, that God himself will perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This promise is unconditional. The fulfillment of this promise rests on God's big shoulders. He will bring an end to your suffering, and he will bring strength and renewal to endure it in this life or in the next. So we believe that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and that he has a purpose in allowing our suffering to continue. But if we pair that with hope in God's promise to renew us and to be with us, that will carry us through our suffering. Uh, hey, uh, 
Old Faithful is by far, in my opinion at least, the, the single greatest icon of Yellowstone National Park. And it, it regularly blasts boiling hot water hundreds of feet in the air, and it's been doing that apparently for a really long time. Actually, the, the first officially uh, documented observations of the geyser came in 1870. Right, 1870 was the Washburn Dome Langford expedition to this area, and the geyser was named by Nathaniel Langford, but he said this about, about, the, about the geyser. He said it spouted at regular intervals nine times during our stay, and the columns of boiling water being thrown from 90 to 125 feet at each discharge, which lasted from 15 to 20 minutes, and we gave it the name of Old Faithful. Just a year later, a guy named Ferdinand V. Hayden uh, came along, did a geological, geological survey. It was actually what founded Yellowstone as the first national park in the world. But he said this, he said, The geyser was named by Mr. N.P. Langford and well sustains the reputation given to it by the Doan and Washburn ex- Expedition. It has been called the guardian of the valley. It is so regular in its operations and they occur so frequently that it has afforded unusual facilities for observation. Look, water blasting hundreds of feet in the air is awesome. But this wouldn't be anything without the predictability and the faithfulness of the geyser. And this geyser has developed a reputation for simply just continuing to do what it's always done. If Old Faithful is faithful, God is more faithful. And he's developed a reputation among those who seek and follow him to do what he says he will do. To remain faithful. And this promise rests upon his character as well. His character, namely, that his power is infinite, that he can do all things pertaining to his character, and also that he cannot lie. That if he says he will do it, he will do it. You simply have to trust in him this morning, and that's where you'll find hope in your suffering. A quick recap here. Uh, If we hope to endure in suffering, we have to be humble we have to be ready, we have to be hopeful, but I, but I want to give you just a, a, a couple points of application here as we close. Uh, maybe some of you need to spend the next several weeks just reading different passages, whether it be passages that address pride, uh, passages that address worry and anxiety, uh, passages that would tell you the strategy of Satan, or maybe you just need to be a little more aware of what God has promised to do in your life. Maybe you need to write out the things you're worried about. And you need to return to those things as a prayer checklist to continue to give those things to God. Look, I have a number of things that end up on the lock screen of my phone. And for the longest time, there was a list. And at the top of that list, it was just the statement. And all it said was that worry would be a terrible way to spend my last day, what could be my last day on earth. And I looked at that for a couple months every single day because I just wanted to understand that that would be a waste of my time. Some of you need to survey the foundation of your faith. You need to identify some weak spots. You need to press into Christian disciplines. You need to press into discipleship. Maybe you need to go grab a brick or a rock and put it somewhere where you'll see it and just be reminded that that's going to be the way you resist Satan in your life. Maybe you need to subscribe to a newsletter of of a missionary, not only to pray for them, but to, to regularly understand that Christian suffering happens all over the world at all times. Finally, maybe you just need to make a list of all the ways that God has already proven himself faithful in your life. And you just need to go back and and just remember that if he's been faithful all these times, then he'll remain faithful in whatever you're walking through or whatever you're about 
to walk through. We've got to be humble. We've got to be ready. We've got to be hopeful. If you would, stand with me uh, with, with, with every head bowed and with every eye closed. I want to just for a moment here uh, just address the child of God, and we've, we've said a lot uh, this morning. Listen, suffering will absolutely happen. We've established that. But God has given you a road map for navigating it. Right? Maybe you need to spend some time at this altar letting go of your pride. Maybe you need to finally give God all the things you're currently carrying around in your life. Uh, maybe you need to just come and just pray. Maybe you've gotten lazy or naive to Satan's attacks and you just need to come and just pray for vigilance. Maybe you just need to come and just give God thanks for all he's done in the past and just tell him you believe and trust in all he's going to do in the future. But to those this morning who are not in Christ, um, this response is reserved for believers. You will soon find yourself alone and helpless in your suffering, but I want you to just hear this morning that you are not hopeless. And you're not hopeless because the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, today is the day there's pastors down front, to your left and to your right, ready to explain this more to you. But the gospel is very simple. It's very simple in that we just need to admit that, that we're sinners. We need to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection as a payment for that sin, and we need to confess him as Lord and Savior of our life. And that's really the gospel. If, if there's not been a point in time in your life where that has happened, today would be a great time to make that, uh, that, that major, major life decision. And I'm going to pray for us, and uh, Josh is going to continue to play. Now is the time for you to respond. Lord Jesus, I pray simply this morning that we would not be hearers of your word only, that we would be doers also. Father, continue to draw us, continue to speak to us, continue to convict us. We just pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you, Pastor Justin, for that message this morning. Suffering. Uh, the truth is that as a believer, uh, we will endure suffering. We will endure spiritual attacks on our journey with Jesus Christ because we have an enemy and he doesn't appreciate what we are doing for the cause of Christ. And so that's something we just have to be prepared for. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus and our perseverance and endurance in Him to live the Christian life on a daily basis and to endure the suffering that we will face. The truth is though that if you're wondering about how to get yourself through suffering but you're not a Christian, there's no hope for you. But the good news is you can have that hope. Today you can have that hope and the assurance that comes from your salvation in Jesus Christ. And Pastor Justin just did an awesome job walking us through the ABCs of the gospel. And our response to that is in the form of a prayer. And so we pray this prayer, and it's not the prayer that save you, saves you. It's just the affirmation of all those things we just discussed in the ABCs, admit, believe, and confess. And so today, wherever you find yourself in this moment, would you just find a still moment wherever you are today? And I want to lead you through a prayer. And again, it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the intent of your heart to give your heart and life to Jesus. That is where your salvation comes from. And so today, if you'd like to give your heart and life to Jesus, then just pray this prayer or something like it. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me. God, I ask that you would come into my heart 
forgive me of my sins, save me. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Hey, can I tell you that if you just prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. We are so thankful that you made that decision this morning and we don't wanna leave that decision with you we want to give you some next steps in your Christian walk. And uh, so we'd like to resource with you with those. And so if you would click the, the link we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I pray to receive Christ today. And uh, again, we just want to connect with you this week, send you some material about your next steps in faith and your faith journey. You do not need to do this Christian walk alone. And we want to make sure you are resourced the best way that you can be. Because just as we learned this morning, we will endure suffering. And you need to know how you can get through that. And so God's family wants to wrap our arms around you and uh, help you on that faith journey. And so just click that link that we dropped in the chat box just now. Hey, it's been a great day in the Lord's house. We're so thankful that you would choose to worship with us here at our online campus. And so we hope to see you again next week. And so God bless you. Take care. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.